electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now in fast, the Fed raising rates by a quarter point and signaling increases are near an end. But Chair Powell continues to warn the market that we still don't know what the ripple effects from the recent banking crisis will be and that the inflation fight is far from over. Plus, a new buyback blame game in Washington. The sea of Norfolk Southern grilled about whether cashews and buybacks should have been used to improve safety. Could this open the door for Congress to target other industries like, say, the banks? And later, Lulu bucking the trend on a downward dog of a day, a fine print on Carvana's new debt offering, and Moderna on the defensive on Capitol Hill. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq Market Site. We've got a full house here on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Steve Rosso, and Guy Adami. And we start off with the market's post-Fed sell-off. The Nasdaq rising as much as 1.3% initially after the central bank raised rates by a quarter point, but it gave back those gains and more as Fed Chair Jerome Powell suggested the fight against inflation isn't over. Major markets all closing at their lows of the day and take a look at some of these intraday swings in big tech. Microsoft, Meta, Apple all reversing course sharply as Powell spoke. So what do you make of the market's moves today? It feels like we didn't get anything that we wanted. I mean, the banking crisis effects are TBD. We know that credit standards are going to be tighter. Lending is going to be tighter. They're not going to be done raising necessarily. So yeah. nothing to like I'm here. going to go out on a limb here. I don't necessarily think it was Jerome Powell that got the market cascading lower. I think it was some of Mm, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think it was comments out of Janet Yellen talking about how we're not going to insure all bank deposits. I mean, I don't know where she was. I mean, she seemingly talks every day now, but I think a lot of it was predicated on her comments. All that said, I thought Jerome Powell did a good job. What I really took away with, hey, wait a second, you know, what's going on with banks now, tighter lending standards are doing the job for us. That's something we've actually said on this show, which he's correct in saying, but it's also not bullish for the market because tighter lending standards, banks are going to make less. It's going to be pushed on to the consumer. Consumers are going to be strapped, and we should go lower. So as much as people want to blame it on the Fed today, I don't necessarily think it was entirely their fault. So we, do we believe that the markets rose because there was a belief that there would be a blanket insurance policy on, on all deposits, Karen? I think it was a little bit of that, but I think I sort of thought when it came to out of the gate, it was a dovish hike. Mm-hmm. I felt like there was a lot of softer language than we've had in the past. And he did say that. And, and here's the thing you and I were talking in the green room before the show. Did Yellen hear what Powell said and then decided that, wow, I really need to nip this in the bud? Or do they not know what each other's thinking? Or was, was she giving or, testimony? She's giving yeah. She yeah. Or so yeah. she was, should have been so out there before? So then she probably wouldn't have, have heard have what heard. he was saying. Do they text her? I have no <laughs> idea. But I'm wondering, did, did Powell misspeak then? Or was he misinterpreted? I don't know. I agree with you, though. It seemed to me that it was, it was the Yellen thing, not the Powell thing. Yeah, there were two things yesterday the market thought. One was in Fed Fund Futures that we were going to have maybe 70 basis points of cuts this mm-hmm. year. And when Powell says clearly, and he said, he said a handful of things clearly today. Um, one is that we still have massive inflation. We still see a very tight labor market. And we're not cutting rates this year. Or certainly um, you cannot expect us to. I am not going to agree that that's happening. And, and that, along with the implicit guarantees on deposits, I think, were part of the, the, the real disappointment. 
totally agree. I had this as a dovish hike. I had uh, I heard a guy say um, all those things, but then also point out, you know, the, in the, the language, they removed uh, the dynamic about a lot more cuts. And they said maybe some more. And even in the Q&A, when he a dropped lot more hikes, in, you mean? It, what's that? You say a lot more cuts or a lot more hikes? I, lo- sir, hikes. I thank you. There will not be more hikes, and that, and and maybe the 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 policy going forward could be, um, you know, more firm, but maybe even implies that there could be some some cuts. That that was something that to that point and the equity markets intraday, and as we've seen, ultimately uh, the market usually has a bit of a zigzag on Fed days. I I thought we were going to get that zag higher. I'll just also say though, until today's sell-off, we were up six percent from the intraday low on the 13th of March. It's not as if the stocks hadn't had a very big rally into this morning when they started to sell off. So you started off the show saying that uh, Chair Powell said he has no idea what the effect is going to be. So why why would he continue to raise rates? If he doesn't know what the effect is, is isn't it detrimental to raise rates in that point? He said he would raise rates until something broke. Does he think nothing broke or was it inconsequential? So how, how how do you... Analyze so what you're, he's- you're saying basically that what what they've done to date, even prior to the 25 basis point cut uh, hike, excuse me, uh, broke the banking. Well, I, th- I think the that's regulatory that's system, I think the regulatory system, but with with banks buying long dated. We know what happened with the banks. They bought too much long dated paper and that reversed. So maybe the regulators need to put that into their analysis. Right. If they're buying too much, there should be something that screens for banks if they own too much long-dated paper where there's a risk in a rising rate environment. How often are regulators in the banks? Every month? I don't month? know, but what about bank management? Shouldn't yes, they know? The, of it's course. not like he, he but just sprung this hawkishness on right. right. He I mean, has been hawkish. But there's plenty, of, there's plenty of things that the regulators say but, you're but out of bounds on with capital. They tell the, is still a problem, okay. Steve. So what, what do you yeah. want the Fed to do? But there's so much that's out of the Fed's control when it comes to inflation. And now when we're kicking around and we still have those long and variable lags. So this is only going to make things worse. So at the very least, a pause. He bought himself some time where a pause doesn't mean he stopped. He can go back to raising again. Okay. But t- today should have been. So what was disappointing about that, though? I mean, I, I look at today. I thought Powell no, did I a think, great I think, job. Yeah, I mean, I there's, there's no way the Fed could know what's coming down the pipe. I agree, I agree, with, I agree with the desk. It was Yellen's comments that, that created the market, not, not Powell's. So do things change? Does your outlook for stocks change post-Fed press conference? Hearing all that he said... What do you think? Well, I, 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 you know, following the bond market, which is on some level back to where we were uh, and, and the bond market, it, it, the Fed's reputation precedes them. The bond market is saying they're going to cut. They're okay. going to cut. They're going to cut. And I, I think I think we've seen two or three different times during this whole period, even in the last three months, the market's been wrong about the Fed. Um, and I think this is the dynamic that the market's trying to figure out. Uh, let's get more on today's Fed decision with Steve Leisman. Steve was in the room. Steve. Yeah, and, and I could talk about this Yellen thing, which I think the market got wrong yesterday, and I can come back to that. But first, I want to talk about the Fed, which sought to strike this balance between still high inflation and essentially 
uh, the recent banking turmoil that it says now threatens the economy. Here's what happened. It raised the quarter point. You guys talk about that. It also, it was the ninth straight time it's done that, by the way. But it signaled a little more uncertainty about what comes next with different language, uh, talking about firming may be appropriate rather than ongoing increases. The banking system, it said, was sound and resilient. Tighter credit, it says, is going to weigh on economic activity, hiring, and inflation. But the extent of those effects, of course, are uncertain. So where does that leave us? Here's our Fed Chair Jay Powell in the press conference explain the connection between rate hikes and the banking turmoil. We're looking at what's happening among the banks uh, and asking is there going to be some tightening of credit conditions and then we're thinking about that as effectively doing the same thing that rate hikes do. So in a way that substitutes for rate hikes. So the, the, the key is we have to have policies need got to be tight enough to bring inflation down to 2% over time. It doesn't all have to come from rate hikes. It can come from, uh, you know, from uh, tighter credit conditions. So, Melissa, it's all very simple. If the banks end up lending a lot less and slowing the economy, the Fed's going to do less. If the, Fed's, if the banks end up lending more and making normal, then the Fed has more to do perhaps to bring down inflation. On Yellen, the whole rally the other day was based on this story that was out there that they're considering this notion of a blanket deposit insurance for the uninsured. My reporting never supported that. They said they were looking at all available options. That was one. So I think the market took off on that notion and it never considered the idea that actually a blanket insurance for the uninsured had to go through Congress, was probably never going to get through Congress, and certainly wouldn't get through Congress in the event of an emergency. So I think the market may be just giving back what it had yesterday on this, I thought, unfounded optimism about a blanket insurance policy for the uninsured. Instead, the system remains the way it's going to be, which is they're going to handle this and insure the uninsured on a case-by-case basis. So, Steve, uh, is it possible, though, that just the we, we are looking at all things, which is about what she had said a couple days ago, and now saying, no, that, that's not what we're looking at. I, I mean, that's enough to me to, to, to you can see why bank investors would get nervous about that. Here's the state of play, Karen, and it's a very, very subtle, nuanced approach that the administration and the Fed and the FDIC are taking. And people need to understand this. It's an implicit guarantee. What they're saying is, look, we insured the uninsured depositors at Signature and at Silicon Valley. You should probably expect if another bank goes down, we're going to insure you. And it's a complicated process by which they have to have a systemic risk finding. They've got to get the FDIC board on board, the Federal Reserve on board. Each bank is done one by one. A blanket insurance policy is a different thing that requires the Congress to get together and pass it, and then they have to charge the banks for it. I think we're a long way from that. I think the market's optimism on that, based on a single story that I might say did not talk about how this had to happen, which is to go through Congress, I think the market went off a little bit extreme on that. And I tried to talk it down the other day, but I'm sorry no one is listening. (laughs) Well, we hear that message loud and clear today, Steve, that's for sure. Thank you, Steve Leisman, outside the Fed. What do you think? Well, I mean, where are we, though, in terms of the market? Yeah. We're right back at 39.40. I mean, think about, how, think about where we've been at this level. So a couple weeks ago when we sold off in a meaningful way, this is the level that we held and bounced. This is the level that precipitated that Mike Wilson call the next day saying, technically the market held, we should bounce now to 41.50, tactically bullish in a bearish environment. 
and we're right back to it. A lot of noise along the way, but here we are. You make your decisions based on this. I would submit the market's expensive at these levels, and if the banks are going to, in fact, do the job of the Fed, it's gotten a little more expensive today, so I think lower from here. All right, let's uh, bring in Michael Schumacher, Wells Fargo's head of macro strategy. Michael, great to have you with us. What was, Thanks, your, what was your main takeaway from, from the Fed today? Yeah, the Fed's trying to spin the dovish hike. Really difficult to do. So the market's trying to figure out how to calibrate all these things. Higher inflation, but coming down. Credit conditions tightening, which are already much tighter, by the way, over the last few months. So future tightening, I think, is on tap. And tie that into where the Fed goes, not so much today, but over the next 6 to 12 months. So I think this dovish hike narrative probably is not going to stick as, as much as the Fed might like. What is your outlook for the economy, given... Um, the expected ongoing tightening in credit, uh, and also the, the variable lag effects of what the Fed has already done. I mean, we could be facing a powerful one-two punch when it comes to, uh, you know, a, a vice or some, you know, the grit in the wheels of the economy. Yeah, it's a good point. It weakens the economy a bit quicker than I think a lot of people expected. Interest in the Fed's own dots so, show just a little bit lower expectations for growth this year than they had back in December. I think the Fed is not really giving enough credence to the idea that tighter credit means things weaken in a fairly quick manner. Michael, if QT is responsible probably for about uh, 25 bips of tightening and this bank failure is probably equivalent, Mm. no one knows truly how much it is, but let's just say 50 bips to throw a number out there. You can correct me what you think. And then Powell hikes 25 bips. Is this too much to be hiking all simultaneously? Well, as far as tighter credit and with respect to bank funds, you can't really tell at this point. And we got that sense from the press conference. At one point, Powell actually referred to guesswork. I would say it's a tough calibration. You just don't know. So it's hard to say right now whether the Fed has tightened enough or too much. And I think that's why the market's been bouncing around so much, whether it's the equity market or the bond market. People are trying to get a read on this. But what are you telling clients, Michael? We're telling clients as the Fed probably hikes one more time. Not a lot of confidence around that call. We'd be shocked if it were more than that, really. And when you think about the path for rate cuts, there's been this big gap between the market and the Fed for a long time. And currently, for the end of this year, there's about a one percentage point gap. So the market's saying, yeah, the Fed will cut a number of times. The Fed is saying, oh, no, we're not doing that. We'll stand pat. Probably the truth is somewhere in the middle. But really, we think the market's overreacted. So I suspect what you'll see is the number of rate cuts priced through December of this year diminishes. So instead of 75, 90 basis points, something like that, becomes something closer to 50 basis points. So that pushes up things like the two-year Treasury and the 10-year Treasury yield a little bit. Michael, in terms of positioning, especially for macro funds and folks, you know, CTAs, I'm hearing a lot of data that they are so underweight, the S&P, uh, in fact, were massive sellers mm-hmm. of commodities and, and whatnot over the last week, that, you know, some part of this tells me, uh, and when I add that to sentiment in markets, which, you know, according to Bank of America is at 20-year lows in terms of sentiment, says that there's actually some risk to the upside. I know that's crazy, given the kind of day we had today. Talk to me about positioning, about what you know to be the positioning of macro funds here. Yeah, the clients we've been talking to over the last number of days and week or two really, I think, are are torn. And they say, look, we do think it's near the end of tightening, whether it's the Fed, maybe the ECB, number of central banks on tap tomorrow. But it's really tough to call that turning point. And by the way, if the Fed stops tightening relatively soon, 
it's probably for a, quote, bad reason for risk, and that is that credit's gotten a lot tighter. So I haven't talked to too many clients who are super bullish on risk. When you look at the credit markets, corporate bonds, it seems like spreads could widen a fair bit. So I think that's really been tough for people. All right, Michael, great to see you. Thank you. Michael Schumacher, Thank Wells you, Fargo. Um, so, Karen, do you look at your portfolio any differently than you mm. did 24 hours ago? Just thinking about that. No, not really. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, the mandate is to be invested in the market. So that, that makes it easy, right? Um, and so I, you know, I still have things like short HYG. I have banks, some long banks. Interestingly to me, the HYG didn't move. I would have thought uh, we would see, if, if with the concern about credit, that we would see credit spreads widen, mm-hmm. even though rates move differently. I think, yeah, I think you stay long the market again as a trader. And I'm, I'm, I think I'm with some of the other folks here that I don't think the market should be priced here. I don't think that the market has a lot of momentum on the earnings side. I think it's to the downside. But as long as the queues outperform the spies, uh, and that's what we've been doing all year, I think you have to stay long the market. Now, th- today may have changed that. You know, this was an important, important Fed meeting, but that's what I'm waiting to see. Yeah. Stopped right at the 200-day moving average. Guy mentioned the level before 3940. Uh, The 200-day moving average is a couple uh, points lower than that. But until the market breaks down on a technical basis, um, well, Tim, I think the the risk is to the upside. I believe that's what you said, right? With yeah, the, I, the market and, is the risk is probably most likely to the upside still. Yeah, and again, I would go back to positioning. Goldman no doubt too. They talked about you know again CTAs, so commodity trading accounts are at their lowest exposure on the S and P of all time. I mean, some of this stuff are, you know, you can't have three standard deviation dynamics without at least thinking that there could be some risk to the upside. Coming up, a buyback battle on the Hill. Norfolk Southern CEO defending the company's buybacks as rail safety comes into focus. Could other industries like the banks maybe end up in the congressional crosshairs? Plus, make sure to stretch before this next trade. Some athletic moves and shares of Lulu and Nike. One is feeling the burn while the other is letting the shoe drop. The details when Fast Money returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Norfolk Southern hitting a new 52-week low as its CEO testified before Congress in a contentious moment over the subject of share buybacks. So there are stock buybacks never come at the expense of safety. Yeah, yeah. I take that is that you will continue with your plan on the buyback. 
NSC repurchased a total of $3.1 billion in stock last year. Some lawmakers say the program should be suspended until the company has fulfilled its obligations to crash site residents. This is an extreme example, but of course, buybacks have come into the crosshairs. They've become politicized. Um, they go after companies that make too much money. They go after companies that do wrong. And you got to wonder who else they're going to go after next and how unpopular buybacks will become. Although we would submit that buybacks and safety are mutually exclusive and safety is paramount here at sure. Norfolk Southern. We also understand the optics around this. So we are going to suspend our stock buyback until we are 100 percent certain that safety for our riders, our communities, wow. our engineers are at the forefront. So that's something good. like this yeah. never happens again. Crisis management. I don't do this for a living. I mean, that's really that easy, like but it's I mean, simple. The fact, yeah. I mean, these people are completely tone deaf. Well, so the stock deserves to be at a 52-week low, yeah, in my opinion. And, and I would, I would, I agree with that. And, and this is coming when they've already been criticized that their response has not been enough. So they've, they've already heard that we don't believe you're doing enough here. Um, that's the problem. If they weren't hearing that, they could, they could make this presumption. Hey, we would never sacrifice. We'd never have sacrificed. Um, but I, I, I agree. I, I, I think it's unfortunate that. The buyback dynamic is, is, is now something that is, is a tool to be used. Um, I think this is a case that sits by itself. Yeah, I mean, of course, Chevron came under fire. Now, I mean, you got to wonder if banks will come under fire to some extent. They're, Look they're, at what they're never under, they're under fire. Right, exactly. They totally yeah. will. Every right. 10 years is they a totally crisis. Well, guys, what's wrong with you? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, Guy, I thought that was really excellent. Yes, I know. On the VHS tape. Really excellent. Crisis management. I do find it ridiculous, though, that it comes from the government who's never made a buyback. They've never bought back any debt, any, right? issue it. Just, yes, just issue, issue. I, I think that uh, you're right. He absolutely should have done that. It's kind of, I mean, that is some pretty bad PR right there. But um, I think buybacks are, I don't understand why they're so demonized all the time. Certainly there are some that has, shouldn't, shouldn't have been done. But there are others that are, I think, are efficient management of assets. Right. So they cover the buybacks on a technical basis. We're back to the October 2020 levels on the chart. If this level doesn't hold, the stock really falls. I, I don't want to call it super substantially, but it, it can fall another $25 here and go back to the July levels. And then you're sort of in free fall. So I don't know on a technical basis or on a fundamental basis if you really want to be putting new money to work in this name. Right, coming up, yoga pants pop. Oh, what? what? Stretching higher. Oh. Analysts feel the burn. Should you namaste in this name? <laughs> well, it's a bank beat down. That was a lot, right? A bank beat down after the Fed decision, but is a group sound and resilient, like Jerome Powell says? We'll debate that. You're watching Fast Money Live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Back right after this. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Two major sportswear names heading in opposite directions today. Lululemon jumping after Wells Fargo reiterated its buy rating and $380 price target, saying there's too much negativity priced in. Meantime, Nike falling as investors digest yesterday's earnings report. The drop coming despite an upgrade to overweight from equal weight over at Barclays sets up nicely for a... Would you rather? Mm. Guy, you actually proposed this pairing, I think, on the call earlier today. On CNBC's Fast Money Call at 1230. That's inside baseball. A lot goes on. It's interesting because both are still expensive. But at these levels, given the sell-off we've seen in Lululemon, you could probably make a compelling argument that all the bad news is behind Lulu, that inventory problem that they really whiffed on. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're past it where Nike seems to be in the midst of it. So given the parameters of the game, which I brought up, it's Lululemon here, sister. Nicely played Thank by you. the rules, Karen. Yeah. Mm. Maybe. I reluctantly, I come to the same conclusion. I just, they're, they're both really expensive. Lulu right. had a bad quarter last time. Sometimes bad quarters follow bad quarters. It's, I, I don't own Lulu right now. I love it. But it's hard for me to say, God, 31 times. I really got to own this. Yeah. Okay. I, 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 because Steve does this, I'll let him play the game. How are you going to go off the board? I'm just going to say, for sure, I would rather, for I would rather Lulu, <laughs> but I don't want to own either of them. I'm tactically okay. short Nike in a, in a directional book. And, and I look at their outlook and, and a lot of questions around China for an incredible company in a duopoly that has a high margin business. that gets higher as they get north of 50 percent in sales. DTC. Not here. Not here. Because Steve never does this, I would pick <laughs> Nike. Lulu broke down technically the 50 oh, cut through so the 200 day. You're actually rathering one. I, always, I always do that, but I always bring in a third party. I don't ever okay, make you're the two do that. dance. <laughs> no. Don't even go there, guy. <laughs> what are you laughing at? No, I'm just enjoying. Just play that back yeah. in your mind. I'm a participant. <laughs> I'm also true. a watcher at the same time. That's what's so great about this yeah, show, sitting here at the table. <laughs> Good, well played too, Steve. Gold stars for everybody. Everybody, everybody brought this up. It's my fault. Um, Meantime, Nike did see outsized options volume today. Let's go to Brian Sutton with the action. Brian. Yeah, massive trade volume. Options trading about three and a half times normal average daily volume, and that comes following their earnings report, obviously. But it seemed like a lot of traders were really repositioning themselves, especially in March option contracts expiring on Friday. People getting out, maybe taking some profiting, starting to get short to Seymour's side. I mean, Grasso, I love you, but Seymour <laughs> might be right on this here. Traders, we saw a buyer of 1,000 March 24 weekly 120 puts. That's a play to the downside where they see the stock breaking through 119 by the end of the week. And if we get some follow through in this market to the downside, it seems like Nike's kind of susceptible. The fact that they've had to lower prices in order to sort of take down inventory, I think had a lot of traders concerned. And that's why we saw a lot of these short bets come into the table during the day, early morning, even before the Fed meeting. That didn't really sound genuine. Grasso, you know I love you, but I'll... Yeah, I'll that's what, someone that's always says that when they're going to say something bad. <laughs> uh, Brian, right. thank you. Brian Sullen. Yeah. <laughs> For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. All right, we've got a news alert for you on Coinbase. Christina Parsonevelis joins us with all the details. K-Parts. Hi, from Melissa. So the SEC hammer has actually come down now on crypto exchange Coinbase with the commission issuing a Wells notice to notify Coinbase. So this is a notification that we're seeing right now. Uh, Coinbase of charges related to the company's exchange, their staking service, Coinbase Earn, as well as Coinbase Wallet. And for those that don't know, staking is just a way of earning a return for lending out crypto tokens. The SEC had previously said that cryptocurrencies that rely on staking 
may be deemed securities, thus subject to oversight and disclosure rules. That's why today the SEC is officially saying Coinbase violated securities law. And we are going to wait until 530 hits. And now I can say it. The legal officer from Coinbase has issued a statement saying, quote, we welcome a legal process to provide the clarity we have been advocating for and to demonstrate that the SEC simply has not been fair or reasonable when it comes to its engagement on digital assets. Given this news literally just broke, we have reached out to the SEC for comment. We haven't received any just yet, but there's the news, Melissa. All right, Christina, thank you. Christina Parts-Nevelis, just as the stock was uh, getting off the ground with the, with the rally in Bitcoin here, um, a Wells notice is never good news. Tim, what do you think? Also, just, you know, penalties, civil penalties, uh, people piling in um, and, and a defense that, well, this is really because you haven't defined. I mean, look, I don't know. I don't know what was going on. Um, I can just tell you if a defense is you haven't really defined how we're supposed to be trading some of these. And if and if what was done is at least currently technically uh, in the offsides part of, of what securities laws are, I don't think there's that's not a defense. And, you know, that would concern me. $20 billion company over the course of this year is going from 55 to 80, back to 55 to 8. Started the day, I think, at 83. So this stock was down six bucks into this. It's now an additional six bucks. Percentage is a big move. And to Tim's point, he says it all the time. There's some great stocks to trade. This happens to be one of them, but I think lower from here as well. All right. Coming up, bank stocks taking on the chin after Powell's comments failed to reassure investors. So what is next for the space? We're covering the trade next. Plus, shares of Carvana speeding higher after a debt deal plan. Mm. Karen's been digging into the details. Why she says we could see more of these kinds of deals from cash-strapped companies. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check in the markets today. Stocks closing at the lows of the session after Fed Chair Powell's news conference. The Dow falling more than 500 points. The S&P back below the 4,000 level. The Nasdaq down 1.6%. All three indices breaking a two-day win streak. Meantime, after our shares of KB Home, they're higher after the company posted a beat on the top and the bottom lines, announced a $500 million buyback program. Um, meantime, turmoil in the banking industry dominating Jerome Powell's news conference this afternoon. The Fed chair slamming Silicon Valley Bank's management, but reiterating that the banking system is sound and resilient. Investors didn't seem too reassured by his comments, though. The KRE Regional Bank ETF dropping nearly 5.7%. For more, let's bring in Chris McGrady. He's the head of U.S. Bank Research at KBW, a steeple company. Chris, great to have you with us. I wanted to ask you um, with why the traders think the markets sold off today, and that is uh, Yellen's comments that there wouldn't be blanket FDIC insurance. And I'm wondering if that, in your view, changes how you look at the industry uh, from an investment standpoint. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. I think we've been dealing with this confidence and contagion risk for the last 10 days, right? I think the market the market wants certainty to before making investments in this in the banking space. So it's a lot of a lot of volatility that we're dealing with. But but clearly, there's some political ramifications of giving a blanket. Uh, a blanket statement on deposit insurance. But what we've learned over the last 10 days is um, there is an explicit guarantee when a bank is, is put into receivership, uh, but there's that implicit guarantee that's, over, that's overhanging the market right now. It's Karen, let me ask you something. Um, I'm looking at your notes, talked about how you would think there would be some higher regulation standards for non-GSIBs, but do you think this whole phenomenon just forces deposits into GSIBs in the interim? Right. That's that's a good question. What they've been trying to do over the last 15 years is to spread out the diversification and, and really 
prevent, a, prevent against too big to fail. Um, what we're seeing in the last 10 days is, is obviously regulation will come out of this. Right? Every crisis brings more regulation. And I think the fear in the market is that that will be pushed down cap. So that'll be pushed down from the largest banks to more of the regional banks. And the question is, how much does the denominator go up in your, in your capital ratios? And then what is the earnings impact from the top line? Chris, the government doesn't seem to care about the equity in these banks, specifically uh, the regional side on, on, the bank, on the banking sector. How do we judge when we look at the equities, whether we're just playing Russian roulette with these names or are you OK from one day to the next? One day you feel as if the government is sort of backstopping them and then the next day you're wiped out by 30 percent. Yeah, 20 to 30 percent moves intraday in, in any stock, let alone a bank stock, is not healthy, right? We need we need things to calm down. We think um, we need some more clarity from the, the Fed and the officials. But clearly, uh, what's going on is, is not healthy. And so, what I think investors are looking for is a little bit more of an explicit guarantee that the deposits will be safe. And the equity holders, right? The equity holders are a very important piece of this equation. They recapped the uh, the financial system in 08. Um, this is not a capital concern for the bank. This is liquidity. But clearly, there's a disconnect between Main Street and, and the Fed. Chris, I'm wondering how I'm just trying to get an insight as to how you think about this. I mean, investors are clearly um, afraid of the unknown. So how do you sort of bake into this model all of those unknown factors and at the same time, you know, get out there and recommend a stock uh, when you can be cut 30 percent in a single day based on sentiment? Um, we don't know what the regulations will be, so we don't know what the operating environment will be for the banks. So we don't know what sort of credit risks will exist once all we see all the tightening and lending standards go up, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, the, the rules are changing, right? And so as analysts, what we're trying to do is we're trying to take the information that the banks are providing. And a lot of them are providing real-time information on deposits, liquidity, um, and, and really asset quality trends haven't changed. So we're, we're rolling up our sleeves. We're looking at banks that have provided liquidity updates. And one company that we've done a lot of work on and we feel really confident on is Western Alliance. Now, this is a stock, a West Coast bank that's been caught up in a lot of the volatility in the markets. But if you look at what they've done over the past you know, week, Right? They've taken $25 billion of liquidity, put it on their balance sheet. Right? That covers any outsized deposit uncertainty and outflow risk that we see. Book value is good here. This is a company that can self-fund their growth. They can, they're self-capitalized. Uh, and the, the stock trades below book value. So we've done the work. We, we've put our neck out on that one. And that's one where we really think the risk reward, the stock's gone from 75 to 7. And now we're at 30. That's, to me, a really good, um, a really good opportunity. Yeah, the other one that you like is New York Community Bank Corp. And I'm wondering, Chris, in this environment, after we've seen all that we've seen so far, are there new ratios, are there new numbers that you're looking for from the banks that make you feel more comfortable about any particular one? I mean, the banks have done as good a job as I, as I think they can to provide the information to investors. Now, the investors aren't really in a trusting mood. But bringing it back to New York Community, if you think about diversification, because I think it's one of the lessons that we're learning from this crisis, 2008 was about diversification of your assets. Uh, right now, we're talking about diversification and concentration in your deposit base. And so what New York Community done, has done over the past six months, they've closed a deal. They closed Flagstar. That got their, their balance sheet more neutrally positioned and more balanced. And this deal with Signature really is a home run. Book value goes up 15% immediately. Earnings go up 20% immediately. And what they did is they didn't have to issue equity. And so that's another stock trading below book value that we think the risk reward is really compelling. Let's hope that diversification means diversification. I mean, that's how Signature got into crypto, right? Um, Chris, thanks a lot for joining us. We do appreciate it. Chris McGrady, KBW.
What do you think about banks now? Well, and why CB's diversification is also regional. I mean, they're, they're heavily exposed mm-hmm. in this area around the tri-state area, but they're also Midwest and they're, you know, they're exposure to multifamily housing. I mean, say what you want about what's going on in commercial real estate, but multifamily is still very, very high. I just, you know, I look at the banks and I look at the KBX or the KRE. We, we know that after, uh, again, the late day moves, you know, you're back to where you were uh, on bailout day. Uh, but so is J.P. Morgan. So is Bank of America. And that's telling you all the things that I think we've been saying. Lending standards are, are tightening. But, you know, of the trillion dollars that have flown out of regional community banks and trusts into the big four, um, half of that is just gone into CDs and money market funds because people want to get more on their money. I mean, banks have lost deposits. The cost of deposits and the cost of, of I think, maintaining customers has, hasn't been this high for banks in, in years. That's the problem. We don't know what to pay for them. They're not going to be giving money back for the reasons we talked about earlier in the show on buybacks and, and White House. It's interesting. A Bank of America is at a multi-year low today, 2160 or so. I mean, that's interesting, I think. It's something to watch. But this First Republic saga is not played itself. I mean, those 120 days are going to go by really fast. And one has to wonder what's going to happen during... I don't know what's happening. Are we going to see a take under in one of these banks like we saw, you know, 15 or so years ago? I think that's coming to a theater near you. There'll be winners here, but there's a lot of chapters left here on the banking side of things. So Bank of America is interesting because it had also underperformed. On on days when banks did well, it sort of it's lagged since the banking meltdown. And so I'm I'm wondering what Mm -hmm. sort of. What comes to mind when you see this underperformance going on, Karen? Well, I think they have more mortgage exposure than a J.P. Morgan, for for example. So we talked about how that mortgage exposure looks. uh, The duration is actually more than it looks. But I I, I still think that the GSIBs are a very, very different animal than SVB. But um, in this current environment, I I had a bigger position in Bank of America. It's bigger J.P. Morgan now. I think it's the premier name. And um, I mean, I don't see it bouncing back super quickly, for sure. But I, and just to your point, though, I do see some take-unders. What negotiating leverage do you have? Exactly. Right. Coming up, Carvana shares driving higher today, but our Karen Feinerman is digging into their new debt offering, the fine print on what the new offering could mean for companies and investors. And throughout March, we are celebrating women's heritage. Here's the president of the New York Stock Exchange. What I would love others to learn from my personal journey is don't be afraid to take risks. Don't assume your career has a linear path. Mine certainly didn't. As someone who started their career coding, I never thought I would be president of the New York Stock Exchange and leading the world's largest global exchange. So don't be afraid to take the non-linear path in your career. Carvana shares driving higher today. The stock surging nearly 30% at one point after the used car retailer put out early guidance and a plan to restructure its $9 billion debt. Karen's been digging in on the details of this one. She's got the fine prints. Karen, what'd you find? Yeah, so this was sort of interesting. I mean, it was good. It sounded like they're going to lose money less quickly, Mm -hmm. I guess. So the street loved that. But then they announced this exchange offer. We all know they have way too much debt. And this exchange offer is you're not getting money for your bonds. You're getting new bonds. And these are called cash pick toggle, which means they can either pay in cash interest, 9% in this case, or they could pay you pick, pay in kind, meaning we're not going to give you any cash interest. We're going to give you additional bonds 
of these bonds as a dividend at a 12% rate. Sounds good, right? Yeah. And then um, we can toggle, meaning we can go back and forth between cash or this pick part, depending on how much cash we have. However, the, the good part about it is they said, we're going to pay you a value of 80 cents on the dollar. Now, that's a discount to par, but these things are nowhere near par. So let's look at several tranches of Carvana bonds. So I can't tell. Do we have one that went up a lot? No. Okay. There we go. The one that went up a lot. This is like when you're at an airport and they say, we're going to board in groups. And whoever boards first, they get the overhead luggage space. Right. This is what they're saying here. We're going to board. You're going to get this exchange offer in groups. The 2025 debt that's due first, you get the first shot at it. That's a great metaphor. By the really way. I can see it? the okay. scramble. Right. The overhead so they're line. scrambling. There they are. They're positioning themselves, you we know, do. boxing sure. out group two. They're in group one. Five hundred million dollars of group one bonds. So that's why they're up so much. The other ones are like, we're going we're to get crap. We're not. I mean, maybe we'll get a little bit off at the exchange offer, but not really. And then we're left with this still very indebted company. They paid a little out the door already. This is no good. You can understand why uh, Apollo and PIMCO are not happy with this. It just seems to be trying to push off bankruptcy. When I was in, Tim and I went to college together, there was a class yeah. I took called Management Science. Oh, MIS. Which was a brutal class, yeah. and I wasn't prepared for a test, so I went into Professor Iglarsh and I gave him a menu of reasons why and things that maybe I could do. That sounds like what these Carvana people are doing. They're throwing all this stuff against the wall, hoping it's something six. It didn't work out all that well for me in management science on an exam, and I guarantee it's not going to work out all that well for Carvana shareholders. Just my opinion. No, I, I'm sure it didn't work for you, and that probably wasn't the only class. <laughs> yeah, but, well. but extending, and you know, Carvana's got a series of, of debt instruments. That, but the point is extending near-term maturities, and that's really right. all they're thinking about. And they're about. just praying for, yeah, hoping for time. And, and if you, they also pre-announced, and and they actually had something relatively good to say, which is that you know they burned between 50 and 100 million versus 295 last quarter. So you know, this is part of that story there, but um, it's not what I'm chasing. I want to say at the end of the quarter, this current quarter, with more vending machines than they did, which is what they did the last <laughs> quarter, which just boggles my mind. Um, coming up, one top COVID vaccine maker defending his company's price hike on the Hill today. Should pharma prepare for more shots at their bottom lines in the weeks and months to come? We got a live report when Fast Money returns. Do not miss CNBC's Healthy Returns Conference on March 29th. Hear about the latest in healthcare investment opportunities from the top leaders in the industry. Scan the QR code to register or visit CNBCEvents.com. Well, Moderna's CEO getting an unfriendly reception in front of the Senate today as he defends his company's COVID-19 vaccine price hike. Meg Terrell joins us now with the very latest. Meg. Hey, Melissa. While Moderna has laid out plans to increase the price of its COVID vaccine to about $110 to $130 per dose, when it goes into the commercial market expected later this year, that's up from $15 to $26 when the government uh, was the purchaser here. Uh, Senator Bernie Sanders, the chairman of the Senate Health Committee, pressing uh, Stefan Bunsell, the CEO of Moderna, to lower that price or reverse that decision, saying that the U.S. government contributed to a lot of the development funding for the vaccine. Here's what he said. Are you prepared to substantially charge less for the vaccine to the United States government and our agencies? Given the situation at hand, uh, Mr. Chairman, we have no idea of the volume that we need this year. 
We have very increased complexity. Yeah. You have complexity, but you have money for stock buybacks by the billions, and you guys became billionaires. That doesn't seem too complex to me. So this is really indicative of a lot of the exchanges during this hearing today. Stefan Bensel pointing out that there are a lot of different things that are going to happen now in the commercial market. There'll be 10,000 customers instead of one, the U.S. government. They're going to have to repackage the vaccine into single-dose vials or pre-filled syringes from 10-dose vials. And he said demand is expected to drop 90%. Uh, still, Mel, you can see that Moderna's stock was under pressure throughout the course of today. I did hear from Jared Holtz at Mizuho that could have been actually due to the hearing and people thinking maybe this 110 to 130 price doesn't actually last. Other people saying the COVID vaccine is not the most important thing in Moderna's stock right now. People are looking beyond it. But even beyond this for Moderna, this was seen as a really important day for the drug industry overall, because with Bernie Sanders in this position, in this important Senate committee and measures in the Inflation Reduction Act focused on drug pricing, there is just a lot of pressure being put on the industry from Washington right now. Mel? It is, am it is amazing how, uh, you know, folks like Bonsell go from hero uh, the savior of, of all of us from the pandemic to now facing this sort of pressure. Meg, always good to see you. Thanks so much, Meg Terrell. I mean, it was like a, a year ago, two years ago. These guys are, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for all the research and development of this platform that has helped us through the pandemic. Yeah, it changes on a dime. The stock, I mean, since this time last year, has been in this 120, 185 range. So it's 150, I think that's where it is. I mean, we're smack in the middle of it. In terms of trading the stock, I mean, to me, it's a no touch. I think they have an investor day on April 11th. Wait till then, but there's zero clarity in terms of this name at this level. This seems to be right up there with banks for, for Congress. And it's, it's somewhat a bipartisan issue. If you look at the State of the Union address where President Biden shamed Eli Lilly into lowering their drug prices as well, I, I don't want to say it's untouchable, but I don't think this is where the uh, quote-unquote easy money is going to be made going forward. All right, up next, final trades. It is time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Timothy. All this talk about biotech pharma. How about J&J? Consumer products, also pharma pipeline, and a 20% sell-off to a valuation that now looks really interesting. Chairwoman. Yes, after Mary Dillon's reset of Foot Locker two days ago, I thought, oh, I like it, but I think it'll trade down tomorrow. It didn't. It traded up, but today it traded down, so I can buy some tomorrow. Foot Locker. Steve Grasso. You know, all, all the stuff of the banks took my mind off of Tesla. Tesla traded down about $168, traded back up to $200. Now it's around $190. Tesla, still long. Okay. $163.85, I think, to be exact, if you recall that yes, day. Yes, yeah, We talk about it, yeah. Uh, GDX, Melms, you see gold today by any chance? I know you oh, did because yeah. you watch everything. All right. Thank you for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. 
It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.